0: Hello, welcome back to the Athletes Voice Podcast. My name is Yona Knight Wisdom and this is episode number 15 of The Aim, The Athlete and Me, where I want to help you become the best that you can be. I'm trying to do something a little bit different with this episode of the podcast, trying to be a bit more proper, in the way that I record and basically speak through my points, because I remember so often I would lose track of my thoughts and forget the original point that I was on. So what I've tried to do is make some notes, essentially. And I I wanted to avoid this before because I wanted to just speak from the heart and I wanted everything to just come from me in the moment when I listened back to whatever point it was that I made but I definitely found myself losing my train of thought so to help, to kind of help keep it I thought it'd be useful to make some notes based on the voice note that I recorded and I can kind of then freestyle and ad-lib from those notes but hopefully I then stay on track a little bit more and the whole delivery of the episode comes across significantly better. So let's see how we get on and we'll start with the first voice note. I feel like I've just about finally gotten over the fact that I always had to try and prove myself every time I came back to Leeds. Last week I was in Leeds for one week of training with my, I guess, old Leeds teammates. It's always difficult and unusual when I go back down because ever since I left Leeds and ever since I moved up to Edinburgh, I always wanted to show that the change that I made was the right decision and that I progressed by moving to Edinburgh So anytime I would go back down to train with the guys, I would always be trying really hard to make sure that my entries were perfect and that my optionals were good and I made my dives easily and I would do them well and train them well. But what would often happen is the opposite and I'd try really hard and nothing would go right and I'd make little mistakes and do some bad entries and, you know, make really bad errors on my optionals and that would kind of compound the feeling that I had to try and prove myself more the next time so it was this cycle that kept on almost feeling stronger and stronger in terms of the negative of trying too hard I think that was because just before I left I almost felt that I wasn't good enough to be in that squad which was ridiculous because I was good enough for the past however many years that I had been there. I had been to the Olympics. I was working on pushing myself with these new dives that were a challenge for me. But at the time, because all the people that were around me in terms of the three-meter springboard divers, Jack, Dan, Anthony, were so good at these dives already, I still felt like I was playing catch them and I still felt that I wasn't doing these dives well enough to be in that squad. And quite often we'd be kind of put on the same sessions so we do the same dives in the session but we just do whatever variation of that direction so for front I would always be only doing four three and a half pike whereas the rest of them would be doing four four and a half and on back I'd be doing back two and a half pike the rest of them would be doing back three and a half and because of that I always felt like I wasn't good enough and also the old culture of kind of getting ripped and you know almost ridiculed time you did a bad dive it didn't feel beneficial anymore at that point there was a time where it felt great you know I felt that that's what I needed anytime I made a little mistake you get laughed at or you you know people make fun of you and that pushed me to minimize the mistakes and execute the dives that I was doing at that time better and better and better but the difference was those dives that I was doing I was super 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 comfortable on Whereas, post-2016, the dives that I was trying to do, I was a bit more scared of and I wasn't as comfortable of, and they certainly weren't going as well. So, anytime I would make a mistake on them, I'd always be super worried that the rest of them would look down on me and almost be making fun of me, which wasn't a great feeling. So after leaving Leeds and going to Edinburgh, I wanted to make sure that every time I came back, I was showing that little bit more quality, that little bit more improvement, which I definitely did. And it's come to the point now where I finally can go back and I feel comfortable. I feel like I fit in because I can execute some of the dives, not all the time, but I can execute some of the dives just as well or better than Jack, than Dan, than Anthony but it's taken two Olympic Games, a Pan Am silver medal, two world one metre finals, two Grand Prix medals, a new personal best, and also finally competing the Ford four and a half for me to feel this way, which is tough. And I didn't like that that's how Leeds made me feel because that was my home, that was where I was comfortable for so many years. I didn't like that. But I'm now glad that I feel so much more comfortable when I go down there. I feel like I can be a bit more of myself and I enjoy the trips a little bit more. I feel like there's a lot less pressure on me when I go down there. But I had to ride that out and looking back on it, I could say in hindsight, yeah, there was no need to feel that way. But at the time I felt that I had to feel that way. I felt that that's what I needed to do to get through those training sessions back home in Leeds. So I can't argue with what I felt back then. But maybe it can teach me about certain ways and certain things that I need to ignore or act upon or do differently in the future when I find myself in a similar situation. Because no doubt at some point I will find myself in a similar situation. It could be in a completely different world, a completely different context. But the lessons that I've learned... From that period of time where I felt uncomfortable being back home in Leeds to now, how I feel when I go down there and I feel a lot better I can learn from that in the future. Okay, moving on to the second point. You never know who you can positively affect or influence by sharing your stories and experience. This week I had a virtual school visit. So this is something that my manager Sam organises for me Schools from anywhere around the country can book me and ask me to speak for, it's just about half an hour really, on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever platform it is. I actually only end up speaking for about 15, 20 minutes, if that, and I use the rest of the time for question and answer and and get the kids to ask me some questions so I can answer them a little bit more specifically. I always feel that's a little bit more fun and a little bit more entertaining for them because... I guess it seems like I'm actually speaking directly to them rather than just talking to a general class. It could be anyone. I'm answering their question in particular. But this was a group of year three, so they were seven to eight years old. And they had just done their sports day, so they were all dressed in their PE kit. And they'd been learning about ancient Greek history, which is why they wanted to speak to an Olympian because the Olympics ties in hand in hand with ancient Greek history. But it got me thinking about what those kids in that classroom would eventually go on to do in their lives. They're only seven and eight, so who knows? It could be absolutely anything. The world is an absolute oyster. There are going to be so many opportunities for all of them in the future. But it made me think is one of those kids in that room going to go on to be a future Olympian and could my story and my experiences that I just shared with them in that very brief period of time, just 15, 20 minutes or even answering their question, would that be something that sparked them to go on and do something extraordinary in sport? And I asked the question of one of the groups, I think I spoke to two groups I don't think I asked both groups the same question, but I said, which of you do sport? And what's your favourite sport? And, you know, people put their hands up. And I asked them what they'd like to do at the Olympics. And, you know, there was athletics and swimming. And one kid even said fencing, which I thought was quite rogue. But for them to hear from an actual Olympian... And if they have those Olympic dreams, then why not? I was exactly the same when I was younger, albeit I'd found diving and then I'd watched diving on the TV at the Olympic Games. It wasn't someone speaking to me that inspired me about the Olympics. It was me watching it on TV. But that was the spot that I needed. And you could say at that age, anytime I spoke about it to the people that I was around, I I don't know what I said about it. But they would have thought, nah, this kid's not going to make it to the Olympics. Because who makes it to the Olympics? Like, we don't know people that make it to the Olympics. But it was just that spark that I needed. That's all I needed to push me to make it to the Olympic Games. Similarly, in school, I do remember a couple of speakers, very, very vaguely. I remember one time Paul Robinson, who was the goalkeeper from Leeds United at the time, coming in and speaking to us or getting to meet him or something like that and on another occasion it was the TV weatherman from Look North I can't remember what his name I think it was Paul something I can't remember he was the weatherman for a long time though I definitely watched him a number of times on Look North but it's funny that I remember those two people as key people that spoke to me or a group when I was at school I don't remember what their message was I don't remember what they said just like these seven to eight year old kids that I spoke to they won't remember what I said and I spoke about some pretty deep things I spoke about the Olympic values which are excellence friendship and respect and I spoke about how those values have affected my life and even though I've not necessarily known them just by aiming for the Olympics those have been very key values in my diving career but these kids probably won't remember that it'll be very tough for them to remember what I said they might remember it for, for a week or something, but it's in that small period of time that it sparks something and slightly changes their direction in life and slightly changes the things that they do. And then it becomes so autonomous that they don't remember what the you know, night wisdom said to them a year ago or two years ago. Just like there's no chance I can remember what Paul Robinson or this TV weatherman, I can't remember the weatherman's name, what they said to me. But what they said must have changed the decisions I made and the direction that I took in life that's guided me to this point now. Just like watching the Olympics on TV for me changed the direction that I took with the way that I approached diving because I always approach diving saying, thinking, believing that I was going to make it to the Olympics. So the key point is you never know who you might influence because you never know what someone's going to go on to but you can definitely, definitely, definitely help to alter their direction in life to something maybe more positive or more prosperous. (laughs) Prosperous. That's such a word that my dad would use. Prosperous. I don't use that word. Anyway. um, (laughs) (coughs) Moving on to the next point. From now until Commonwealth, my main focus is body management. I'm definitely feeling the effects of the last 78 days. I'm just going off my daily posting and that's what day I'm on because I can't remember exactly what day it was I did my first event. But it's been an intense, intense block of time and my body is definitely starting to feel the challenge of it and the potential injuries that could happen or could occur to my body in the next few weeks definitely starting to worry me a little bit my back has been quite sore mainly my lower back uh, this week as a whole my achilles on my left foot which is weird because that's not my dominant foot that I dive on all the time that's been really sore still been strong enough to dive on but it's been quite painful. And to make that particular one even worse, I saw Alexis Chandard from France. He came to stay with me just a few months ago. And I saw him injure his Achilles in training, just out of the blue, completely out of the blue. He posted on Instagram one day, remembering his recovery from his shoulder surgery and his journey from there. ...through to the World Championships... ...where he had a very successful World Champs... ...and the very next day... ...Achilles... ...ruptured... ...season over... ...no Europeans... ...that he had coming up... ...fortunately the World Championships... was already passed and he'd already done well... ...but I saw that and thought... ...if it's easy... ...like that for him then... ...I better look after myself... So now prehab is an absolute number one priority. And it's something that I'm so, so bad at. It's so annoying. I'm so bad at it on a consistent basis. I do it until the body part feels better. And then as soon as that body part feels better, I stop doing the prehab. And eventually it starts hurting again. But the pain is even stronger because i am not looked after it. So as a consequence... I'm starting to feel these pains and injuries and sorenesses. Some I can control, some I can't control. My back I couldn't really control, and I've been doing a really good job of actually controlling that by focusing on stabilizing every, everything in my kind of like lower ab area. I've been working hard to try and protect my Achilles by building the strength again in my calf. And I've also been trying to make sure that. As I push myself in training to make sure that I do my dives as well as possible, I'm not over exerting myself to the point where it risks injuring a particular body part. However, I definitely still struggle to control myself when there's like a competitive game or something like that. For example, in Leeds, they love playing games as their one. And I love playing games and they have a lot of variation in their games. Um, in Edinburgh, sometimes we play football tennis and sometimes we play ball. But in Leeds, they have access to tennis courts. So we went and played tennis a couple of times. They've got this little volleyball game that they play uh, in their gym and we played that quite a few times. And every time I played it, I went hard because, well, it kind of links back to my first point. I kind of wanted to prove myself, um, but not in the diving world. I wanted to prove myself in these games because I didn't want to lose these games either but pushing and running and changing direction with a sore Achilles is not ideal. And, you know, chasing a ball on a tennis court with a sore Achilles is not ideal. And trying to do all this dynamic movement with a sore back is also not ideal. But I just couldn't control myself because I wanted to do well in those games. But, you know, there's two sides to every situation, so... Whilst I will make sure to do my prehab, I just can't help to push myself in the competitive situations. So I've got to kind of accept that if I do overdo it, then so be it. As long as I've tried to do everything that I can to prevent it from happening with the prehab. Uh, so I'll continue doing that and, and fingers crossed for me. But the main goal is just to get through to Commonwealth Games and to dive well at Commonwealth's and from there I can start getting prepped for the next season and getting my body a little bit stronger and a little bit more durable for the next season and even though it's significantly better than it was last year or the year before with my Achilles with my knee with my shoulders significantly better so that's really good news but this is the time of the season where these things do happen so I've got to be ready for it okay the fourth voice note every opinion i've held of mo farah has completely gone and completely flipped so if you haven't watched the mo farah documentary that was on bbc this week just gone i recommend you watch it um if you're a sports fan and even if you're not a sports fan because it does shine a light on something that is not good That's going on in this country and also around the world, and something that people can put a stop to if they just look out for the right signals, and they can not maybe maybe not put a stop to it, but help avoid it if they look out for the right signals. But basically, Mo Farah, um, the documentary was about him being trafficked to the UK as a young boy, taken away from his family, and when he moved over here he essentially had to work as a house slave so the lady that brought him over he had to feed her children and wash her children and clean up the house and do all these different tasks as well as going to well he didn't even start by going to school but he, he wanted to go to school he wanted to go to school and eventually started running and started running really well and started going to competitions and Fortunately, he managed to find his way out of that household into a, another household that was a little bit more caring. But then when he got to a certain level and the time came for him to start running for Great Britain, he had to get a passport. Well, the issue was Mo Farrell wasn't his actual name. Mo Farrell was the name that he was given on his fake credentials to come over to the UK, but he just adopted that name. Mofara was actually the name of this lady's real child that was left back in Somalia. So Mofara obtained his actual British passport under false pretences and under a fake name, which is technically fraud. So now the process that he's going through is well, what's going to come out of it, I don't know. They shouldn't deport him because I don't think he had. The knowledge or the experience to do anything different at that age, and the people that were around him and guided him and helped him did everything in their power to do it all right as much as they could. But what it showed to me was that it all his whole story just now adds up. It now add it now makes sense. There was always something about Mo Farah that felt like a barrier between me and kind of connected to him as as like a idol. Even though he kind of ticked all the boxes, you know, he was this black track and field athlete and he'd clearly been through some adversity. Well, even more adversity than we realised, but the way that he put it and the story that he told growing up and the one that he stuck to, it was still a story of adversity having to come from Somalia at a very young age. The real story is, is much deeper, but there was always something that I felt was holding him back from my admiration, essentially. The way that I just admired Usain Bolt and other athletes. They felt so open, whereas there was something really closed off about Mo And I always said I didn't really like him, to be honest. I felt like he was a little bit, I don't know, I don't really know what the word was to describe him. I wouldn't say, like, arrogant or anything like that, because he was quite quiet and he was pretty graceful in the way that he conducted himself. But, I don't know, there was, there was just something about him that put me off, essentially. But now, after hearing his story and putting the dots together... I have nothing but respect because could you imagine having to go through that at such a young age in a strange country where you knew no one and the reasons why you thought you were initially coming over were completely different to the true reasons it's tough and it shows that sometimes there's so much adversity that spurs on some of the best most elite athletes in the world I imagine for him, for Mo Farah, the running almost felt like an escape and the striving for success in his running would have felt like him, you know, getting one over on the people that did him wrong in early life. and you know, getting as far away from that lifestyle as possible. So that just motivated him to run and run and run and faster and faster and win all these medals and everything. At the end of the day, that deep inside him, that feeling of himself as a kid deep inside him must have been the reason for his ridiculous, insane drive for success. And you often see that in the most elite of athletes. There's something really deep inside them something really hidden that you wouldn't want to go through as a normal person yet it's the thing that drives them towards this success and makes them these idols and role models and these figures that people aspire to be like where if you were given the option to experience what they experienced at a young age you definitely wouldn't want to experience that for example Simone Biles her mum suffer from substance abuse to the point where she couldn't care for her. So Simone had to be cared for by her grandparents. Mike Tyson was bullied heavily, badly, as a kid. So he learned how to fight to defend himself and basically beat up his bullies and that defence turned into one of the greatest fighters of all time. But you wouldn't want to go through that level of bullying, that level of Neglect, I guess, it would have felt like for Simone. I know that I wouldn't. If I got told, okay, you've got to go through this in order to win the Olympic gold medal. For me, like, my life, the way it's been, I would much rather that than any medal and any success. I'd rather the happiness that I've felt throughout my life with the relationships, friendships that I've had It's links to the post-traumatic growth theory that I've written about in my introduction to my ebook, which is soon soon ready. It's definitely going to be ready by the first of August, by the way. Definitely going to be ready. But post-traumatic growth is a stage beyond thriving. So thriving is when this is all under resilience, by the way, but thriving is when the person returns to pre-stress levels of functioning, whilst also acquiring new skills, knowledge, confidence, or improved social relationships. But post-traumatic growth is a stage beyond thriving where the person develops an increased appreciation of life, closer, intimate relationships, a greater sense of personal strength, finding new opportunities, and increased spiritual development. And in some of the most elite athletes, the most successful athletes, you definitely see some of those traits that lead them to more success, especially the greater sense of personal strength. They go through an extremely traumatic period or experience and it causes them to develop in a way that someone who hasn't been through that just simply can't develop. And that is often the reason for their success. So it's very interesting looking at the Mo Farah story now, now that I know all the context, now that I understand the context, and thinking back to his performances and thinking back to when he got his family out on the track and that emotion that he felt with his family, for me it just adds up and I now look at him with nothing but respect and admiration. It's funny how quickly it's flipped, literally there was a point in the documentary where it just completely switched the way that I felt about him, completely different. Okay, moving on to the final voice note. Seems like FINA are bringing all the changes, apparently freshening up the circuit from next season. Kind of liking FINA at the moment, what they're doing, they're trying to switch things up and do things differently. For example, with the World Championships, splitting the prelim into two separate heats. Such a great move. So much more they can do, but what a great place to start. There's also been a vote to change the name of FINA, one of the options with World Aquatics kind of following in the footsteps of World Rugby and World Athletics in that kind of name change, which is a positive step. Shows that they're really trying to do something different and broaden the interest of this in the sport. But this idea that they've got going on is essentially merging the world series and the grand prix so there'll be no more world series essentially which would mean i'll never actually get to do a world series but it means that i would actually qualify for this event because the way that the qualification works for this new event which they're planning to start next year i don't know if i'm supposed to be saying this by the way because jack was on a meeting about it where it was just being discussed and it's been decided but they haven't got the name of it they haven't ironed out all the details it hasn't been made official yet but this is just between you and me right so to qualify for this new event if you finish in the top eight at the world championships in Budapest for example you automatically qualify through to the semi-final of this upcoming event whatever the name is going to be The 16 divers after the top eight, so technically from eight down to 24 or nine to 24, these people also qualify for this new event, but they have to compete in a prelim. Then the top eight from the prelim will qualify through to the semi final. So that means there's 16 there in the semi final, but that semi final is going to be split into two semi finals, so eight and eight. Then the top four from each of those semi finals will progress through to the final apparently so there's going to be something in terms of the way it's ranked so that each semi-final is evenly weighted and everything but there's now going to be prize money to the top 8 at each individual leg and no more overall prize money rather than prize money I think it was for just the medalists actually of the Old World Series so the top three only would get prize money and then there was a larger pot of overall prize money for the top six total so essentially the money's being spread a little bit more widely which is really nice a few more athletes have the opportunity to access a bit of prize money which is nice even though it's slightly reducing the amount that the winner could win and take Jack for example in in his most successful years in the world series he would have won 60 grand if not more I don't know if I should have said that oh well um he'd win that amount of money so for him you know this is a quite a large reduction on the prize money that he could potentially win but it will help to grow the sport as a whole and help to reduce the gap between the top and the bottom because more athletes will get to experience these competitions with the best athletes in the world and more athletes can earn money which will allow them to train more professionally every single day. I think it's a great idea. I think it's really exciting. Fortunately, based on my position, I do qualify. So hopefully I'll be able to attend these events next year. But my question is, what about everyone else? What about the people below 24th, 25th and onwards. What about those that didn't get a chance to compete at the World, Se- World Championships this year that didn't get a chance to qualify for this event? There's got to be some other competitions going on and normally those competitions are the Grand Prix. So the World Series used to be top eight to qualify and then anyone that didn't qualify would get to do the Grand Prix. Because there was no qualification protocol for the Grand Prix, however, if there were no grand Prix, what events does everyone else do? Does that mean countries are going to be expected or required to put on events invitationals or whatever else to allow competitions for the people and it's not just twenty five onwards it's the third, fourth, fifth divers in each particular event for each different country because at this event. Whatever they call it, it's still only going to be two divers per country. If we look at Great Britain, for example, you say the ones that were at world championships, Jack and Jordan, they get to compete. What about James? What about Dan? What about Ross? What about Anthony, if he wants to do individual? What do they do if there's no Grand Prix? Because Yes, normally the two divers, say Jack and Jordan again, finish in the top eight and they qualify for World Series. They go to the World Series, then the rest of them will have Grand Prix to compete at. But if there are no Grand Prix, what does everyone else do? So I'm waiting for FINA to answer that question because it does affect me with Johan. Johan wasn't able to compete at the World Championships, so even though it might have been difficult for him to finish in the top 24 anyway... We might have had a chance to finish in the top eight for Synchro and get a chance to compete at this new event in Synchro. But if there's no Grand prix, and if I do these events, what does he do next year? So I'm waiting for Fiend to answer that question. Um, But hopefully we get some information soon because there's a lot that they need to tell us that they have not told us yet about qualification for the Olympics. And... World Championships in 2023 and World Championships in 2024 and World Cup in 2024. There's a lot that we need to find out from FINA, but at least they're taking some steps to try and make our sport a little bit more exciting and a little bit more balanced competitively, let's say. But that's all. I think that'll do for this episode. I think that wraps up everything that I wanted to talk about. Definitely preferred it speaking from notes. Well, wow, it made it a lot easier to stay on track. And I felt like I made some much better points. And also, I'd watched a video about presentation and public speaking. So I was trying to implement a few of the strategies that I learned on that video. I think I've got to watch it again to learn some more. But hopefully, it came across better. The main thing I was trying to do was utilise my pausing. So that I didn't use um and and as much. Which I think I did. So, let me know. But in the meantime... Have a great week. I'm up in Edinburgh for one week only. I'm training with, well, multiple different coaches throughout the week. Multiple coaches, wow. There's there's a lot going on. But, um, yeah. One week and then down to Birmingham for Commonwealth Games, which is a whole other story. So I'll get into that when the time comes. But thank you very much in the meantime for listening. Have a great week. Make sure you stay hydrated during this high temperature period of time. What do they call it? Heat wave. That's what I was looking for. And enjoy your week. Take care. Bye. If you've made it to this point, much respect from me to you. We are almost done. Before you go, be sure to leave a rating and a comment. Give my athletes voice, social accounts, a like or a follow. I'll be back with more stories and more conversations soon, so stay tuned.